0: is Consumers Podcast for the week of February 14th. That's Valentine's Day, motherfuckers.
1: We've made it to Valentine's Day. Holy yep. shit.
0: So um, my name is you, Justin Christy. Hurd.
1: <laughs> my
0: name is Justin Hurd.
1: My name is Nathan Steinman. I love you, Aaron. Uh...
0: Skyler Deal,
2: Christy, you're in my heart forever and ever and ever.
0: <laughs> Ooh. So um, this will be our consumption episode. Woohoo. We love tuberculosis.
1: Yeah, we're big fans. You know? Big fans. Gotta get down and dirty darta. Yeah. Smurda. Smurda. What? <laughs> Foo bar or what?
0: YOLO. <laughs> <coughs> I, I literally had someone at the bar the other day tell me, You only live once. And I looked at uh, him and, and mo-
1: I did you just go, is the model that we follow? <laughs> like did you just
0: <laughs> no, no, I just I, no, I no, I I just I just looked at him and said, Come on. Finish it. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. <laughs> you, you literally just said, you only live once.
1: You have to say, is the motto that we follow. You have to say it. You've said it already.
0: And even if not that, you just have to say, YOLO. Yolo. No, they did not.
1: <laughs> Fuck. They they,
2: maybe they honestly didn't know that term.
0: Um, you know.
2: I, they, they weren't genu- bro genu- enough. They just weren't bro enough. They it's weren't okay. bruh enough? Yeah, they Bro, what's up, bro? Dude, bro, bro. Bro, What's up, bro, Sif?
1: It was really weird, uh, this guy that I work with, Scott. He's always like, bro. bro. He's not a bro at all. Like, he's not a <laughs> douchebag at all. But he, he's very monotone and very deep. And he always says, bro, bro. <laughs> Every time, the first time I met him, I was just like <clears throat> laughing in my head. Because I was just like, ah, oh, what it a- <laughs> what a weird unusual thing for a really nerdy guy to say all the time right you know, bro bro
2: that's well, like when my dad and mom got so mad of me in the late 90s saying dude all the time after <laughs> so much <Gibson> butthead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> too, too and many laughing hours. like that too much <laughs> see Which it stuck with me forever and ever <laughs> see my thing is I, I was just looking back recently um the Powerpuff Girls and the mm-hmm. villain him, the like weird devil in a okay yeah. um, tutu kind in the tutu thing. Yeah, I showed a picture of that to my mother. She goes, "What was this from Powerpuff Girls?" I had no idea you were watching this. And then I was like, and then I showed her some Ren and Stimpy stuff, and I was like, "Ren and Stimpy is what you let me watch instead of The Simpsons."
1: It was way <laughs> worse. Like my
0: parents thought The Simpsons were the devil and would not let me watch it. But, but John
1: when, K. John K, that's okay.
0: <laughs> but yeah, you know all that shit was just perfectly fine for me to watch. You know, I'm good to go I
1: still I, I I I love the the moment you realize your your childhood T V show was porn. Yeah. With the the <laughs> sawing the log in his ass. Yeah.
2: <laughs> log, log, log.
0: So, uh, Skylar, what have you been consuming? Oh man. Uh, all lot, the things.
2: Lots of music lately that's come out and is coming out in the future. I'm real excited about I'm a big music nerd and I'm collecting vinyl again, uh replacing all of my albums because I had them all on C D. Had to get rid of them or lost some in a tornado. Um uh, which happens in Oklahoma all the time. Yep. Uh, there's a band I like from New York, I think Brooklyn, they're called Dive. Their band name is spelled all in caps D I I V. And they have a new uh, double album out called "Is the Is R um, Dive." Pretty if you look if you look them up on Google and you see what the band members look like, you'll probably roll your eyes.
1: <laughs> I didn't look up what they looked like. I listened to the record and well, the, it's very it's very uh, I would say nineteen eighties London, you know, Cure. Definitely The Cure Like pornography
2: yeah. album Or something
1: uh, Well but even Even kind of uh, Yeah The singer
2: actually um, Mentioned some South African uh, Guitar players That he likes a lot too That kind of inspired him They're just post-punk There's also Dream Pop And Shoegaze And your oh, yeah. typical Total indie. Dream Yeah Dream yeah. Pop All over the place And your indie hipster stuff Which when well, I said If you see what they look like They look like Guys who work at Pitchfork <laughs> probably and <laughs> yeah. <in> write those album <laughs> reviews there.
1: You you look at the picture yeah. and 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 you literally just want to put a picture of rolling your eyes. You know, uh,
2: the singer, um, he's really cool actually. Uh, it's a guy. Yeah, I had no idea. The guy looks like <laughs> Kurt Cobain, and he, this guy is a model slash recovering drug heroin addict in real life too. So his album, a lot of the songs are actually about heroin addiction and recovery and stuff like, like that. Like you do. Yeah. Uh, the album just came out uh, Friday, actually yesterday. It's their second album and very good album. Actually, you can put it in the background and just kind of do your thing and listen to it. It flows very nicely. Their first album was called ocean O S H I N, and this is a good follow up to it. Kind of more the same but better, you know. Kind of like the Strokes' first album, and then their second album is more the same but could be a little bit better than the first one.
1: Yeah, I never liked the Strokes, but oh. you know.
2: those first two Strokes albums are really
1: good. I think. I think it's just the fact that like I had already discovered Lou Reed at that point. Hmm. I Velvet oh, Underground and all that. You well, just also just Lou Reed in general. So yeah. I got to discovered Lou Reed at that point, and I was like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> No thanks strokes yeah.
2: <laughs> So Dive's album Also um, Deftones Released A single uh, On a BBC Radio show In the singles Called Prayers Slash Triangles Or Triangle And um, I actually sent a link To it To you Nathan <laughs> Didn't Yes I. It's the f- It's a new song From their album Caught titled Gore Which is A picture Of birds flying. Yeah A bunch of flamingos On it <laughs> Pretty cool actually I think um, It's a It's a follow up To their last album Called Koi no Yokan, Which is a follow up To Diamond Eyes Which was the first Sound they made um, After After Chi Was in his coma They were so, Okay Deftones made uh, Five albums With Chi The last sound They made with him Was Saturday Night Wrist And then they were Working on one After that Called Eros E-R-O-S But he got in his Tragic car wreck And was in a coma And then he passed away but they recruited um, the guy, uh, Sergio. He was the bass player in his band called Quicksand, they, who were kind of like a post-hardcore band, and they had members from Gorilla Biscuits in it. So I they have know. a good connection there. And he played bass for them back in the past, so he helped them record Diamond Eyes, and then they did Koino No Yokan, and now Gore. And it's kind of taken all of their their styles that they dip into all the time, like
1: dream pop, shoegaze. Um, the the new, yeah. the, the track definitely reminds me of like a more mature version of kind of stuff from Adrenaline.
2: Yeah. And Deftones, when they experiment and do what people call their pretty weird slow songs is honestly my favorite parts of the band. Which is what got me into him in the first place because the first song I ever heard by him was called Digital Bath off of the White Pony album. Yeah. Until later on in life when I finally heard My Own Summer the very first time and I realized, oh, I heard that song before but I didn't know that. <laughs> and then actually, I, never mind, I will Of course, spray. an adrenaline,
1: you know, connects to like the beginnings of yeah. Soulfly with Max Cavalier and stuff. Yeah.
2: I was going to say, I didn't want to mention it, but I will. I went and watched Linkin Park back in like 2002 and they covered My Own Summer.
1: Like y'all know, tones, yo, yeah.
2: And then they play the song, and I don't remember oh, being no. good, but I don't. I know. can't
1: imagine. But that's my feelings about <laughs> Lincoln Park. I can't imagine anything Lincoln Park doing it, being good. But
2: there was one song I like called Over, "I think it's called Over My I, Head." I or,
1: understand that like other people at this table, specifically Justin, uh, <laughs> like things that I don't like, and I'm totally okay with that. Is it called
2: Over My Head or Place for My Head? Off their first place album. for my head. That song was pretty. Awesome, I thought. I
0: like the first album. Honestly, my favorite is Reanimation, where they that do the, that, remix. That's album. the remix album where they do stuff with Hey Jay Gordon and um, Aaron Lewis. I've probably never heard that. Jonathan you know. Davis. Like they go back through and do you know and actually get real rappers to do verses on the songs. Good and job.
1: change them around <laughs> and everything. Um, but well, yeah. I, d- I will say there's one thing I like they do, and it's on the Handsome Boy Modeling School record and it's one track that they collaborated with a shit ton of people on that's about the kind of transition from hip-hop hip-hop to rock and roll slash hip-hop of the day the kind of new metal rap rock kind of but also uses like Vivaldi samples and (laughs) you know like right right you know it's a very intriguing little piece but
2: so that Deftones album will come out uh in April I think on the 8th And I'm gonna try to hurry and pre-order the double vinyl album that's like got only 3,500 copies they're making on their website. Um, But it just kind of leads into like a whole bunch of music coming out this year. You just told me new Nine Inch Nails album apparently coming out. Yeah. Tool might make a new album. Radiohead's definitely having a new album
1: coming out. And it's their first in a couple years. So
2: yeah, so I'm excited about that. And they'll probably tour here like in the summer, I think.
1: I might actually, hopefully y'all get to actually see Radiohead. Yeah, my
2: wife asked me today, she wants to see him again because we and her went to watch him in, in Dallas on the King of Limbs tour and that was the second time I've seen him in Dallas. She's like, will they ever come here? I said, I don't know if they've ever been here before. Maybe when they opened up for Sheryl Crow <laughs> or that, R.E.M., yeah, I have no idea. They might
1: come to be okay at The be okay to Tulsa. Yeah,
2: but I've been consuming music a lot. That's kinda it that oh and I finally made my very, very first Mario Maker stage. What if anybody has Super Mario Maker on the um Wii U, look up my stage. The number for the stage. Wait, wait,
1: wait. wait. Do that again. You you, you gotta you kinda went my stage. My <laughs> stage, stage. <Yep. laughs> all of a sudden you're a bad you're a bad version of Siri <laughs> you lost your emotion <laughs> um,
2: my name on Nintendo network is eat dogs all one word lowercase um, surprising so you can look that name up on Mario Maker I think or you can look at the stage number which I will read right now and the no- the letters are all in caps so letter B number 5 number 0 letter B dash, zero, 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 dash, zero, one, letter B, letter D, dash, six, A, five, seven. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know you didn't mean that to be funny, but it just, after you went zero, zero, dash, Zeros, zero. like you're reading, <laughs> like you're reading off a credit card number. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I order steals. stuff online with my credit cards quite a
2: bit, <laughs> and sometimes my words don't sound that well. Anyway, the name of the stage is Tower of Rabble. Rabble, 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 rabble. You can record sounds on the game, but unfortunately, I don't think Nintendo will let you put those recorded sounds online when you upload the stage because they don't want people cursing every time you hit a jump
1: block and it yells, ah, you know. They, they don't want to yell Fuck. Yeah. Every time you. <laughs> it's, a, it's
2: a it's a kind of like a maze like stage, and you can play Captain Toad in it if you get the secret costume mushroom in it. Interesting. Tower of Rabble. That's what I've been consuming. I spent <laughs> last night I started playing it and making a stage. It was like six hours later, and I'm done <laughs> At like one thirty in the morning. Holy upload geez. but you have to beat the stage first on your own before you can upload the level. So that's a pretty good rule. Yeah. Because there's some guys who make Kaizo Mario levels, which are insane possible, like, levels. And this one guy, I remember, spent eight hours trying to beat his own level to upload it on there. Holy shit. It's, like, called Pit of Pangea or something weird like that. But anyway, that's what I've been consuming. That's it.
1: Woo! Zero, zero, dash, zero, zero. There's the title of the episode right there. (laughs) Zero, zero, dash, (laughs) zero, zero, zero. Um... So uh what I've been consuming um this is Nathan by the way. So I rewatched Jackie Brown for the first time in a oh, long time. Oh, I
0: love that movie so
1: much. Uh for those of you that are not familiar it's a 1997 Quentin Tarantino film.
0: Honestly, it is my favorite Quentin Tarantino film.
1: I think it's starting to become one of my favorites. I still think that Inglorious <laughs> is up there, and Pulp Fiction is just still number one for me right now. But it's definitely, I think it's outpaced Kill Bill at this point. Wow. Because Kill Bill, well, Kill Bill is such a pastiche of so many different things. Where Inglorious Bastards is a more direct, you know, story. Uh, same with with Jackie Brown. It's a much more direct. Where with uh, Kill Bill, he it gets more abstract. There's more of the, the non-linear storytelling, like in Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, more of the non-linear storytelling like you get in uh, some of Django and even, to a certain extent, in Hateful Eight. But it's a adaptation. It's the only direct adaptation he's done of a novel by Elmore Leonard called Rum Punch. He was actually originally supposed to direct one of... Uh, he and Roger Avary had brought the rights to three... Different uh, Elmore Leonard novels, and he was originally going to do one called like, Kickstop or something like that, but he reread Rum Punch and was like, Nope, doing this one. So, this is here's the one thing I will say about Quentin Tarantino movies. Even though you know that there's name actors and you know the name actors, you remember a lot of the characters' names. Right. You know, he, he writes, they say them enough in the movie, but they're also like, very distinct. I actually think that Ordell Roby is one of the best
0: Yeah, I was about to say Ordell. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like Ordell is one of his best Samuel L. Jackson characters. Uh I like that there was a reference to that's some repugnant shit, you know, from uh from <laughs> Pulp Fiction. There was but like the Ordell character is so magnetic. Like you see why people trust him when they shouldn't you know? Like, he just, Samuel Jackson gets that across. In the kind of opposite way, he plays the John Shaft character in Shaft. Right. From, like, the next year, you know? Ordell is just a, such a natural... The The person that surprised me in that movie was fucking Robert De Niro playing Lewis. Right, yeah. Rewatching it, I was like, at first it it really took me to, like, halfway through the movie, as I was like, man Robert De Niro doesn't want to be in this movie and then i realized oh no Robert De Niro's acting <laughs> like i was i was so take, it's not his typical Robert De Niro performance like yeah. and and it's not a Martin Scorsese film so which he's done different performances in different Martin Scorsese films but right. it, it's not the typical Robert De Niro performance um now the person that i was totally forgot was in this movie was michael bowen the guy that plays buck and i like to fuck and uh and kill bill uh he totally like he 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 does he has some great scenes with michael keaton great scenes with pam greer as jackie brown michael keaton's ray character i didn't know this but apparently they did contract stuff where because out of sight was made like two years later
0: right same character,
1: same character portrayed by Michael Keaton. Also, they like they, they did a bunch of contracts up just just so he could re- reprise that role. Oh yeah, talk about a soundtrack fucking movie. Oh, I'm not yeah. even joking. Yeah. I mean, Definitely. all up and down like the soundtrack. At the De- Delphonics track is mm-hmm. is I <laughs> it's it's one of the few times that the concept of the light motif has been like appropriately used as a, a movie because it describes a sound, a setting, a like relationship between characters. Because even when Ordel gets in the car and it's playing and he's like, I didn't know you liked the Delphonics. Because he knows. <laughs> he knows who likes the Delphonics. And it's Jackie Brown, you know, yeah. not Max Cherry. Um Forrester is amazing. The fact that we get to see the the pass-off of the money from three different perspectives. It's the only nonlinear element in the whole movie. And it works completely.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: The fact that you, I wish more films explored well or explored at all. The concept of playing out a scene from different points of view, especially <laughs> even when it doesn't really set it up in the movie, you follow the different characters. You follow Ordell for a while You know, you follow Jackie for a while. You follow Max Cherry for a while. You get little uh, bits and pieces. Little music thing. So, what was really funny was watching the Max Cherry character buy a fucking tape. A fucking cassette tape in a CD store. I was like, oh my god. (laughs) Talk about a scene that will never be in a movie again. Right. (laughs) He's buying a fucking tape of the Delphonics. (laughs) Yep. Now you just get out your iPhone.
0: Well, it, well, actually, the funny thing is, is that whenever um, Guardians of the Galaxy came out, the next record store day, they had a cas- they released Exclusive a cassette record store day cassette. Wow, that. yeah, that, and it's that's flipping awesome. on eBay for like eighty to. Yeah, we were more. selling it. For, it was it sold for like eight bucks, yep. but like
1: we got two of them and they yeah. were gone like, like that, that, you that. You know, know.
0: Uh, a
2: lot of indie punk bands put cassettes out. These
1: yeah, I know. And, there's a kind of a cassette culture yeah. in the singles singles... It, well, but right. also I mean, like I know, like a band here, Brother Gruesome, they put out their first record as a cassette and yeah. digitally. Lots like, of but cool those are the only
2: that like only have them on cassette. Yeah, <laughs> you hope for that ultimate compilation album with all
1: their stuff put There's on. There's actually a group on Bandcamp. Like they, the only way they physically release things is on tape. Is on yeah. cassettes. Everything else is digital. Like you have to buy it digitally from there. Mm-hmm. Nice. But uh, the another thing that. Right, and I will say Jackie Brown. If you've not watched Jackie Brown, or if you haven't watched Jackie Brown recently, totally worth a rewatch. I was it,
0: gonna say I think I watched it last year. I watched it like seven times after I saw it, it the first time because I kept going back to it, going, "I wait, this." There's I so many little it in a Very, uh, high, it, very long. Time. I
1: think it. I think the thing is, is so with like Kill Bill. There's a lot of details, but a lot of the details are references to other things. Right. And don't get me wrong, there are black exploitation references that I don't necessarily get because I haven't seen all those black exploitation movies. But the thing is, is like as a movie, there's so many things that function like little tiny details. It, it also, you know? f- I
0: think, is the most grounded. Yeah. Tarantino movie, like yeah. it just feels like it, it doesn't feel I like he's yeah. doing all this other stuff on yeah, it and trying it's try- not
1: ele- it's not elevated right it's what it is you know yeah
0: and that that's why watching i just kept going back and watching like what is it about this that is drawing me into it characters yes
1: one dialogue I well the dialogue. Di- the dialogue's ever yeah. every yeah. one yeah. of his movies the thing that sucks you in is but, the what the is the way the characters talk but this is one of those movies where just the characters themselves are magnetic. The performances are really magnetic. The music is really magnetic. And But the thing is, is also the fact that how understated. That was that was going to be Michael my... Keaton is so understated as Ray in this movie. He's not even in the movie that much. But he's so understated. Well, and you um, know... Robert Forster
0: as Max Sherry. Oh, God. Like, like the way he looks... At Jackie, whenever she's leaving, you know, at, at and the, the way end. she
1: looks when she's mouthing the words to just cross 110th Street, she's okay. driving away. I'm like, heartbreaking. This is heartbreaking. Yes, like, and it's so subtle. Like the whole movie, like it's the only subtle Tarantino movie. There's subtle. That, that's that's what there I, are subtle yeah. elements in his movies, but there's never like the whole movie is subtle. Right. This is everything is subtle, and I feel like if he's his next picture, he should make another modern, not do another Elmore Leonard novel. Fuck it. <laughs>
0: so um, you know, one thing I did want to mention is that um, there is a movie called Life of Crime. I believe it is on Netflix. That is a prequel.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Because it's a because he, it's he wrote based a novel on, called like The Switch or something, yep. and it's where Ordell and Lewis meet. Yes, and yeah. that's what it is. Where you
0: have. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. Um, fucking John Hawks is playing Lewis and um, Mose Def is playing. Oh, you mean uh, um, Yazin Bey? Yazin Bey. Yeah. I yeah, almost said playing-
1: like Yassan, and that, I knew that wasn't right.
0: Yeah, he plays Ordell.
1: Okay, yeah, I gotta watch. That. <laughs> In. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, you know, just putting those two together, you go, okay, yep, I have to watch this movie. I still haven't got a chance to, but, yeah.
1: But, uh, so the next thing I was consuming, uh, Schuyler, you, you need to check this out as well. Okay. Totally. Silver Screen Fiend by Pat Oswalt. Silver
2: Screen Fiend.
1: It's a book that he wrote. You can get the audiobook. Um, I actually checked the audio book out from the library. Thank you, library. I love you. Represent. <laughs> uh... <laughs> That was the worst use of represent ever, uh, but I love it. Uh, it's a it's mostly a story about his four year complete addiction to film, like complete. You know, in some ways, Justin, you probably when you read it, you'll be like, "I this is I, I live this." Yeah, <laughs> Except it was horror movies, not art movies. Right, you know. right, but. I'm still, li- I'm still living this. I know, but I'm saying like, <laughs> but so deep. Like you're watching hundreds of movies. Right. You know, keeping you. But he's like got this record record of it because he's going through these couple of books notating when he's seeing films and stuff. Uh, but the most interesting thing about the book to me is the concept that he introduces called the Night Cafe. This is named after a Vincent van Gogh painting where instead of painting something he saw really in the world he paint. Gauguin was like paint something from your memory and he paints the night cafe and Gauguin actually painted the night cafe in the day as well but the thing is the concept of the night cafe is a place that after you leave it you are forever changed like your Coachella story yeah whether it's positive or negative you are forever changed There was a night cafe for you you changed your entire life because of what you went through
2: mm-hmm.
1: whether you know it's always it's always for, even re- realistically uh, this last year with your divorce is in some ways a night cafe for you <laughs> this has totally changed your whole world your whole world's in a people yeah but one of the best <laughs> parts is like he talks about first you know, his first night in cafe, his second night in cafe, which is comedy, how he got into comedy, started doing comedy, but the third one is the most interesting to me because it doesn't it's before he goes to the New Beverly for the first time. He's in San Francisco, he's just moved there, he's broke, he's think he's been a comedian for four years, he's thinking I'm gonna do this and he walks into this uh walks into this comedy club and gets completely blown away by 30 comics on an open mic, or by 17 comics on an open mic, just, like, and completely bombs his set. Because he's not in any way doing... And, like, he and his friend, like, went to eat afterwards and just tore the jokes out of their notebooks and started over. And, like... But just the... I. And I feel like I've had a personal night... I've had at least two or three different personal night cafes. Because if I hadn't... At 17 years old, I hadn't gone to Galileo's. Literally, like uh, the whole... Like a whole world of my life didn't, doesn't exist. It's a night cafe for me. Remember. You know? Probably, so. I, it's, my mom finds out about poetry because I just started randomly writing poetry in English class. It's the summertime. I've kept writing poetry... Through the summer, she was like, hey, let's go to this poetry reading with me and my dad, you know, which was very entertaining to me. 17 years old, walk in, listen to the poets, I meet Tapestry for the first time. Like, he ended the whole thing reading this crazy stream of consciousness thing. I didn't freaking leave that place for like five fucking years. Oh, yeah, I was there running. every fucking Wednesday night. Every Wednesday night.
0: I mean, even friends that I have now, 14 years later. Are
1: people you met because of...
0: But I only went maybe half dozen times. Yeah. And I'm still friends with those people 14 years later going like, hey. I went from going
1: there once a week to working there at a certain point. You know, like that place changed my whole life. Like... If I hadn't gone to that place, where would I be? I never would have met Shane Coysin. I never would have met Mike McGee. I never would have met Derek Brown. I never would have met Buddy Wakefield. I never would have gotten into that whole slam poetry thing, which, I mean, would have affected your life, Yeah, too. totally. Yeah. You know? Um, like, like, the, like I, I,
0: I can think of a, a dozen people that... Because you introduced me to Shane Khoisan and Mike McGee, I introduced them, which also helped them win competitions in high school based off of doing their poetry. (laughs) Yeah, like it just it just spirals out from there. It's it's insane how much Galley is affected, even for the limited amount of time that I went there.
1: Yeah, and like and that's one of those things that like of any point that I can point. You know, there's other points I could I could go about and stuff. But, like, that was a complete and utter night cafe for me. And, like, it totally resonated with me when he was talking about it. Just, like, that whole idea. But uh, the other thing is, like, those concepts of, like, becoming obsessed, being a completist, being distracted by the thing you're obsessed with that you can't really create. Like, even though you want to move into the world of, like, he talks about wanting to be a director. And so he's studying film, but he gets to the point where he's watching, he's so obsessed with movies, he's not really making the leap. He's starting to act in movies and starting to be in stuff, but like he hasn't really, he's not getting behind the camera. He's not learning the craft. Right. You, he's not filming the things, you know, he's not taking that next step. And I feel like that's such a thing that happens to so many of us, is we become completists, We've got all these books we got to read. We got these things we got to watch. We got all these this things we got to listen to that we never fucking create. Lots
2: of games.
1: We're so fucking distracted by our own obsessions that we don't create, and like that's, but that's what we want to do.
0: But the thing also is, is with a lot of these type of um, pursuits, you have to.
1: You have to have a knowledge. Yeah, you you
0: have you have to ingest it. To be able to create it effectively. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's one of those kind of weird things for me personally as a writer. Like my night cafe is going to more Norman technology and taking classes with Mel Odom and writing my first book in three months because of his direction. You know, as much as he and I disagree about a lot of things.
1: He pushed you to the point that you were able to do this.
0: Right. Like the, the weird thing is, is that my goal at that time was to finish a novel in 10 years like I didn't want to be the person to finish to take 10 years to write a novel. So, up to 9 years would have been good for me. Yeah. I finished it in 3 fucking months. Okay, cool. Yeah. I stopped going to college because of that because I don't need a, you know, degree to be able to write novels. Found that out. But yeah, I I can just completely see that whole entire thing spiraling out there, but my thing is is with writing. I mostly read horror novels. I write fantasy. Yeah, what the fuck?
1: Well, but also, like, think about like the types of tropes and stuff that you're ingesting uh, are affecting your your uh, your absorption, but also regurgitation of fantasy because you're going to look at it through a different lens because you're bringing the different lens to the table. You right. know, like you're not just passively sitting. You know, you're you're. T- you're taking the aggressive point, but that's the other thing is like without the thing that's missing from the story is a lot of the cast of care. He introduces. Yeah. Yeah. Louie. And like, these are a lot of my friends and stuff, but like what's missing is a lot of the, like, so what were your conversations about movies with Louie while he's making movies? Right. While he's making short film after short film, making Poodie Tang. <laughs> You know, what was that like being like, you're sitting here and like, he talks a little bit about like, but he's, but what is that like of like, what movies were you like, hey, you should check these out? Because, you know, what was that conversation? What was that? I want this book to go so much deeper into the world of those friends, you know, and it doesn't, but but that's okay. But the direct correlation, the other, the other thing that I directly recently ingested was a documentary called Electric Boogaloo which is on Netflix uh, yes I the need to s- watch that story of Canon Films it's made by Mark Hartley uh, so Canon Films was started by Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus for those of us if you're over the age of 25 you probably know who Canon Films is just because they were the films you saw in the video store all the time they were in every video store you went to. Every you know. And then
0: they were pretty much universally bad.
1: There are there are not all, but there's a lot of schlock. There's a lot of shit in that in that Canon films catalog. If you've seen any 80s Chuck Norris movie, any of the early Jean-Claude Van Dams, any of the late 80s. Rocky, or, or Sylvester Stallone, and if you've seen any of the Death Wish sequels, you have seen a canon film. I mean, the, the low quality, most of them are exploitation films. There was more nudity in this documentary than I saw in documentaries I've seen about pornography. <laughs> I mean, there's so much nudity compared to, like, like just because it was a part of the exploitive aspect. But the other weird part is occasionally they would make art movies. Barfly is a fucking canon film. <sighs> but I dislike Barfly so much. You can not dislike it. <laughs> like, I'm not saying it's a great movie, but... Yeah. Compared to, like, fucking Delta Force, it's goddamn gone with the wind. <laughs> you know?
0: Well, compared to, uh, fucking the He-Man. Master of, of the Universe. universe yeah. yeah.
1: Here's the weird part. Okay, so... The one thing that I watch is seeing the type of special effects again. After this years and years of just being inundated with CG, it was really nice to see the the laser, weird colored light effects. The weird, I I actually I think it's called Inner Space. It's a Toby Hooper movie. Okay. I want to see it now. Like seeing the seeing the fucking effects they were doing in the mid eighties. And that's the other thing is like Toby Hooper was a key part of he a lot of his movies from the 80s are all canon films. But also, you know, movies like Bloodsport. There's a movie that everyone knows just because it was a popular film right. called Superman IV, the Quest for Peace. Uh. That was a fucking canon film. Um American Ninja, the American Ninja franchise was started and uh, was in that And, of course, Breakin' and Breakin' 2, which is where we get the title, Electric Electric Boogaloo. Boogaloo. Uh, But Death Wish 2, which Rob Ager talks about, is still... Now, Death Wish 3 and 4 and 5, much more just direct exploitation films. But Death Wish 2 has a little bit more redeemability. You know, it's not just shit for shit's sake. But they also made... They made a fucking Godard movie. I mean, it's not well liked, but they made one. They made one of Cassavetti's last films. Uh, They made one of uh, fucking Norman Mailer's only films. I mean, they fucking. No matter what, no matter what, they threw. They took the fucking. They took the fucking shit. They threw it against the fucking wall. Right. No matter what, Menachem and Yoram made movies they didn't they may not have made fucking great movies but how many of us in this room fucking made a movie at this point right you know it's like the uh, fact that there's a hundred films on that canon list not all of them are very good you know but like well, but they the, still hearing, did it
0: hearing that they did barfly alone makes me want to watch the documentary just because i'm Pretty big Pukowski fan. I'm a huge fan of the remake, Factotum. And then, you know, seeing Barfly and kind of seeing how it falls off at the end, just kind of going,
1: ah, okay. I, I still need to read Hollywood, his book about them making in Barfly. Okay. Yeah. I haven't. It's it's a fictional story, fictional story about yeah. a writer whose mo- book, it's turned into a movie. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's what I've been consuming. So, Justin, what have you been consuming?
0: Um well first thing is a movie called The Canal.
1: The Canal? Yes, it's a horror movie.
0: Okay. Um
1: surprise surprise. Very much. I I never would have expected you to watch a single frame of hor- of a horror movie. Ever. Yeah,
0: especially by myself. I mean just Yeah. Ooh. ooh. <laughs> um it's um uh, it's one of those kind of shocking indie horror movies that you just totally did not, you you kind of go into and just go, okay, this is going to be whatever. But, um, the idea behind it is it's about a film archivist. Um, he moves into this house where some, basically he moves into this house with his family. Five years later, he's got a kid and gets delivered some footage that shows, um, that murders took place in his house a hundred years before. And he starts kind of becoming obsessed with that right about the time that he becomes convinced that his wife is cheating on him. Oh. Leaves the son sleeping in the bed and follows her to her lover's house, sees her having sex, and then you see him walking back with a hammer in his hand and he just, you know, pitches it into the canal and then his wife goes missing. Hmm. But it's one of those, like, you know, it's one of those really well done creepy movies where, like, he's watching film and you see a shadow standing beside his bed. And you can't quite tell, but it looks like there's a figure standing there. And he's trying to convince all these people that it's this guy, you know, he didn't kill him, he's being investigated by the police, you know, all this stuff. But one of my favorite things is he gets really sick after he pitches that hammer um, away. And he goes into it's just this really dingy bathroom. And he, you know, there's blood and shit and everything all around it. And he ends up throwing up in this um, toilet and closes the door whenever he hears somebody enter. Because it's just one of those type of bathrooms where gangsters or whatever would come around and kill him homeless people all that good stuff yeah. and he's sitting there leaning against the toilet and he just sees this person the legs of this person dressed in shoes and immaculate or in pants slacks and immaculate black shoes stand and stop outside of his stall and then he looks up at the top and he, he just sees the hands of the person reaching over and the head coming up over the edge of the stall looking down and then as he's like looking at it a guy's face comes up right next to him and starts just, you know, just very low guttural type of sounds that are clearly meant to mean something, but the character and you have no idea what the fuck it is. Wow. Just like super well done. kind of has a little feel from Sinister when he's watching the footage where they do super close up, close up on like that type of film stock and putting it into the projector and it going through in the lens. And it's really well done. There's some points where he starts filming things and he's seen something in the brush and telling his son to run away and hide and it keeps filming and closes, closes his eyes as the thing approaches him. And then he stops filming and the thing's gone and then he shows it later and you finally get to see what it is. And very, very well done. Um, kind of Sounds surprised. interesting. Um, the lead in it, his name is uh Rupert Evans. He that wa- name
1: sounds familiar for some reason.
0: He was in um Hellboy One. Okay. He was the fresh recruit that's oh, supposed to be the liaison. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But it's him a little bit older, kinda actually has a Brad Pitt look to him now. Huh. But he's in his forties, so you know, it's one of those he's probably just gonna always be one of those kind of B tier actors that you rec- character actors that you see every once in a while going like, he's, oh.
1: he's getting work.
0: Yeah, he's getting work, but nothing that's going to really put him on the map. Um, but that's on Netflix. Totally recommend it.
1: And it's the canal? Yeah.
0: Right. Um. Next thing, I played a game called Rise of the Tomb Raider.
1: Rise of the Tomb Raider is this a prequel?
0: Um, well, it's a sequel to the prequel that they released a couple of years ago.
1: Sequel to the prequels, so it's a prequel of the original game, but it's a sequel of the prequel of the D- well, so so the what the prequel they... of the sequel of the original. Well, th-
0: there was like nine Tomb Raider games, and they even did a reboot at some point that tried to make it a little bit more relatable, but then made it to where you know. She wasn't a, you know, she didn't have the big chest, but she was still kind of doing the same sort of puzzles and kind of more whatever. Well,
1: her chest is supposed to indicate her age. <laughs> well, it, it,
0: it's just less, she became less of a sex symbol and oh, okay. more of a, um, more of an action hero. Kind yeah, of. sort of thing. But it was still not was just, great. Yeah. Well, then they did a remake which kind of. Took the Gears of War Indiana kind of went more Indiana Jones sort of thing. Tried to make it more realistic, where she is using a bow and actually has to you know hunt and skin deer and stuff like that. Um, She in the first game she crash lands on an island. Um, One of the weird early things is that she's about to be sacrificed to a cult, manages to escape and falls on a spike that impales her side, and for a little bit for the first section she's holding her side and limping with it, and then mysteriously it's healed and she's fine for the rest of the game it's a game i mean it's one of they do a lot better job with the second one in keeping her injuries consistent nothing that bad but it's the first game also had this weird kind of um gore porn sort of thing anytime she died like if you missed a section like she'd get impaled through her chin and you know just like and you get to see her floundering in the water there for a second before they reloaded it up or you know
1: getting her head blown off by a shotgun or something like that. Someone's, someone's fetishes came out. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: but they try to make it a lot more grounded, um, more of Metroid style where she's in an environment, gains extra stuff, and then is able to explore different areas. In the new one, they make it a story about the prophet and basically kind of like the hunt for the Holy Grail, um, immortality sort of thing.
1: So Indiana... Jones and the Last Crusade.
0: <laughs> kind of, sort of, but in modern day, um, her father had killed himself whenever he was really, you know, whenever she was really young. Now she's become obsessed with the same thing he has as a result of the first game. Um, but it's set in Siberia. Weird. And there's a secret cult called Trinity that is trying to... um are this organ religious organizations that's lasted for thousands of years that are trying to get this thing to make it them immortal. Um, one of the cool aspects of it is that they have basically she, there's these villagers there that they have the leader who hey spoiler turns out to be the prophet and have been, you know, lying to everybody saying, you know, saying, Oh yeah, it's a spiritual object. We got to protect it sort of thing. Nobody realizes he's immortal. And it's like, well, it's more, it's not a spiritual object. It's not necessarily scientific either, but, you know, there's okay. a whole army of people from Roman times that are called the Deathless Ones. Okay. Which is kind of, then they protect it. So it's really interesting, kind of the way it goes. The thing about both of the games is that she murders hundreds of people because cause it's a video game. But, you know...
1: Like you do. Like
0: you do. It's like one of those, like, okay, we're really worried about this one organization that houses, you know, hundreds of troops that are, are pretty bad people. But she is literally slaughtering them. Like, taking and, you know, um, what's the tool that you use to scale mountains, the kind of pick thing? Oh, yeah. yeah. The she, pickaxe? Pickaxe, that's it. She's using that on to, you know, kill them and... Using a bow shitting, you you know, know, whatever, just brutal murder, yeah, constantly (laughs) setting, you know, making Molotov cocktails and setting people on fire and
1: oh, fun, you
0: know, stuff like that. Um, I ended up really liking it. Um, it was one of those that I started to really get into the collectible aspect. They do a lot of small challenges, you fight bears, cougars, um, wolves, but then you also skin them, which helps you upgrade your stuff, you know. Interesting. So they they try to keep it very much grounded and re- as much as you can when you're killing hundreds of people at a time, but you know yeah, it's you it's know. like you know over thirty hours or something like that. It's all good. It's fine. Other it's fine. than all the murder, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the other thing I've been consuming is a little movie called Spotlight,
1: which I still need to see. Yes, you do. Because I, we tried to see. I tried to see if it was in the theater at a time that I could go before. And the only time it was going on, Aaron had a migraine. And I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna venture on my myself. So right, you know,
0: yeah. I just happened one day. Are oh, you gonna know, leave her
1: there, like, you know, m- migrating it up all by herself?
0: Yeah, I've had a way too many migraines recently, but it was just one of those that I happened to have no appointments, or I had had a migraine earlier in the day. It was something like that that was just like okay. I've got, you know, I've got a little bit of time. I'm going to go see this real quick. So, um...
1: Speaking of Michael Keaton. Like, speaking of Michael Keaton,
0: um, the storyline of Spotlight is... Or it revolves around the specialized team of reporters that uncovered the, um...
1: Catholic Church protecting yeah, pedophiles, basically.
0: Yeah, the whole... Pre scandal, pre scandal. scandal Was it ninety
1: eight or ninety nine? I can't remember.
0: Um, It actually was um, um, early two thousands. They they found out about it in July of two thousand one.
1: Okay, because I I remember the story breaking. I for some reason I put late nineties, but yeah, but I remember the story breaking of like, hey, look what they did. They just moved this guy around, and every time you raped a kid, they just moved him to another district. And then raped another kid, moved him to another district. Just protecting the priest and not protecting the victims.
0: Right. Well, and what made it really interesting was actually kind of going back and watching... I ended up watching Doubt afterwards. Mm-hmm. Which is a movie where, as the audience, you never know if he did anything wrong. But... Phelps Seymour Hoffman knew, and that was it. Um, and that's the way they do with the play, is the person playing the priest knows whether or not he did. And that's the only person who knows. But it was interesting. Um, in Spotlight, it is not; it's not lascivious. It's not trying to you know, push anything there, it is... Because it's a
1: journalism movie. It's yeah, a movie.
0: It, it's a, it, very similar to um, All the President's Men. That's probably the easiest touchstone. Um, but it is about them uncovering the facts and them going through, you know, directories and realizing, oh, hey, they actually have codes for <laughs> people who are being moved around. And they were able to... Which
1: means they're protecting these people. Right.
0: I mean, it literally starts with um like 3 they suspect 13 and then using the codes are um at the peak of their journalistic thing are trying to think there are 87 in Boston alone
1: holy uh, shit <laughs>
0: yeah and it, and you know Basically, they're sitting there like, oh, is 13 a good number? Talking to an expert on the phone. And they're like, is 13 a sound like a good number? He goes, no, that's a little bit low. I actually estimate about 6%. Well, How many priests do we have in Boston? Uh, 1,500. Wait a minute. So that would be 90. Does 90 sound right? Yeah, that sounds about right to me. And then, you know. But it's... Uh, jesus yeah it's it's and then them kind of breaking down like here's the type of stuff they would do and talking to the victims and having the victims detail what's going on and just then going into doubt and going okay so that's that's questionable what that character is doing there but like
1: what is this person doing right
0: yeah so um really well done like I, I would have had it keep going on, like just one of those type of movies. But the one thing I have to say, um, Mark Ruffalo, amazing. Like he is definitely becoming one of my favorite actors. Just
1: the especially kind of he's moving into the elder. You know, he's in only in his forties, but he's kind of moving into like kind of elder statesman actor. You know where where Brad Pitt kind of was, but not more character actor. You know, I well, guess more he, Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's kind of taking the Philip Seymour Hoffman. Well, and he place. because
0: because he transforms himself. Yeah. And it, like, I like spent
1: Foxcatcher. He looks so different. I, I
0: actually haven't got to watch Foxcatcher yet, but watching Spotlight, most of the time I was watching the movie. Anytime he was on screen, I was watching him like, that's that's a. I know he's being somebody else but it's still really interesting like where's that moving where's that vocal pattern coming from like there are a lot of really interesting choices he makes as an actor that you're going
1: (sighs) well i i listened to the fresh air interview with the one of the journalists and uh the director and he talks about how it was really weird to like you'd hang out with these actors and in a couple weeks they're they've picked up every mannerism every (laughs) little every little thing you do like they're doing it like and you're like noticing all the stuff you do
0: (laughs) well and that's one of the also the weird things about I, i read some trivia and apparently once they set up the offices to be like spotlight at the time they let the original Re- um, reporters go in, yeah, and they immediately walked to their desks and started rearranging stuff to how it was, yeah, right at that time. So, but yeah, Michael Keaton. Everybody is excellent in the movie. There was not any part of it that I went, eh, whatever. the The crazy thing about it is, is that this is, you know, written and directed by Tom McCarthy.
1: What What else has he done? I can't remember.
0: Well, he was, um. He did the opening to Up. I mean, he wrote Up, which, you know, is a big one. But he also did The Station Agent. Okay. The Visitor. The one with... I don't
1: think I saw that one.
0: That is the one with Richard Jenkins in it. I didn't see it. Um, Yeah, it's a... Basically, it's about a college professor, kind of midlife crisis sort of thing. He travels to New York and finds a young couple living in his apartment.
1: Oh, okay. I think I remember the trailer now.
0: Yeah, but he's a. Um, he also did Million Dollar Arm, Win Win, and uh, The Cobbler. Oh, the the fucking Adam Sandler movie, right? Wow. So he's he's all over the place with his stuff, but to come up with this like procedural drama. That's is,
1: that's like the first major journalism movie in a long time. Right. Especially with newspapers dying. I think it's a nice a nice thing to remind people that like, no, this is what good investigative journalism does. Right. Like this is what we need to get back to.
0: Right. Well, and that's you know. that's the thing, is that they were specialized in their own field. Yeah. They they were basically an independent
1: you yeah, know, it, They were an investigations crew, you know, they right. went and they got the hard stories. You know? they, they
0: basically, what, what kind of, their whole thing was, we only answer to this one person, it might take us a year to write a story. Like, we have to vet it, we figure out whether or not it's a big thing, and we do it. And they were working on something else, and the new editor came in and said, hey, you might look into this and nobody and been, that's Leave Schreiber, right? Yep. And yep. he he's awesome too. Very very uh subdued. Very. I just
1: remember that from the interview. I was like Leave yeah. Schreiber's also in this? I yeah, got to see this fucking movie.
0: Everybody's in this fucking movie. It's it's an
1: it it's is one of those actors act, you know, actors movies cuz like there's all the. all everyone every role is a name actor. Right. You know <laughs> like yeah, Everyone has a name. Everyone has, you know, recognition.
0: Yeah, John Slattery from um, fucking Mad Men is in it. Yeah. Stanley Tucci.
1: Oh, yeah, I forgot Stanley Tucci's in it. <laughs> Shit, how many motherfuckers are in this movie? Yeah, <laughs> like,
0: I mean, Billy Crudup is in wow. it. Well, yeah, he's...
1: That was also in the interview, and I was like, Billy Crudup's in this movie? <laughs> Fuck.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it is totally worth watching. Need to go see it if you can.
1: Uh, so, um, speaking of. Oh, I totally forgot what I was going to say. It had to do. It connected back to the directorial debuts, and I just. Uh, and I totally fucked it up. So. I'm uh, proud of you. You can take that out and post if you would like to. No, I think uh, I he just. He probably want to see won't. Him. He will leave my error graciously <laughs> in front of everyone's face. Like, hey. Look, Nathan fucked up pretty bad. Didn't it, didn't it mean, and, and then Isn't Nathan it funny? And then huh? Nathan huh? just doesn't stop huh? talking. Nathan Nathan doesn't stop talking ever. It's just what happens.
0: Yeah, apparently so. So, um, Skylar had to bail. So, yeah, life. You, you can find him on the interwebs at Eat, e-dogs. Dogs. Just eat ser- dogs. Just search for Eat Dogs. search Eat Dogs. One word. I'm not sure if he eats dogs, but Eat Dogs is where you can find him.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're not going to speculate whether or not he does or does not eat dogs i'm going to speculate but i'll keep it to myself yeah speculate on your own time um so motherfucker
0: nathan where can people find you on the internet? you can
1: find me on facebook uh in the dubious consumers facebook page which i've been trying to post a video or an image that i find that i feel like is relevant uh please share like uh comment please comment comments are always appreciated um you can also find me on Twitter at Nate Wad Neutron. You can know, or er, sorry, at Nate Wad, you can find me on Tumblr at Nate Wad Neutron and everybody get real quiet. Prepare yourselves to be inundated with the name. The name that brands our podcast.
0: So Um, I do have a book out there. It's called Of Gods and Madness the Faithful, a story about a mobster who becomes a god only to find out they die too. You can find that at bit.ly forward slash ogamtf. Um, you can also find me at justinherd.com, Justin D. Justin at Justin on Twitter, real Justin D. on Facebook, Amazon.com forward slash author, forward slash Justin D. Justin D. on Tumblr, Justin D. on Pinterest. Justin D. anywhere you might be able to find Justin D. Check out Google. Justin D. I'm even on Tumblr. Hey there, ladies. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> I have not branded my Tumblr as Justin D. yet.
1: Well, I mean, just, or, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, it happens. Yeah, so
0: anyway, words, set everything on fire. Um, Nathan, the universe. You, yeah.
1: Nathan, do you have a final thought? Uh, we should all make sure that we make, hopefully, enough compared to what we intake. So process your obsessions via creative.